0: Uh, Today is Palm Sunday, and it is on this day that uh, our attention is drawn to the week before Jesus' death and resurrection. And almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus approached Jerusalem in what would be the the climax of this redemptive journey he was on. And Jesus' mission was to carry out the Father's mission, and that is the redemption of mankind. And that's what led him to Jerusalem. And that is why he was going there. And this morning I want us to look at this portion of this redemptive journey found in Luke 19. I want us to focus on those moments as Jesus approached Jerusalem. And what we're going to see is that there are several events that will begin to unfold and then there will be several, several reactions to those events. And so this morning, as we observe Jesus approaching Jerusalem, I want us to notice how those who are following Jesus responded to Him. I also want us to notice how some of the Pharisees responded to Jesus. And then I want you to see how Jesus reacted as He approached Jerusalem. And then finally, we need to ask ourselves the question, how will we respond as the church to what Jesus was going to do in Jerusalem? And so turn with me to Luke 19, verses 28 through 44. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you that you're welcome to use. And while you're finding that, I'll give you a little bit of a context for where this passage fits into the book of Luke. Jesus has just passed through Jericho where he saw Zacchaeus converted. You know, Zacchaeus placed his faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Salvation came to his household. And then Jesus continued on his pathway to Jerusalem. And as he was going, he shared this parable. And the parable is called the parable of the ten Minas, And we're going to talk about the significance of that parable in just a few minutes. But we'll put that on hold for just a moment. But as he told that parable, he continued on his way to Jerusalem. And that's where we'll pick the story up in verse 28. So Luke 19:28 says this. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem... And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Now, I want to just stop right there for a moment. As Jesus passed through Bethphage, he comes into Bethany. Now, Bethany is the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So you can imagine as Jesus is coming through Bethany, clearly people were there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, or at least they had heard of it by now. And so as he's coming through Bethany on his way to Jerusalem, a crowd is gathering. And they're making their way through Bethany and they come to the Mount of Olives. Now, it's at the Mount of Olives that Jesus makes a strange request. Usually when Jesus enters a city he doesn't make a request like this he just goes into the city and then usually what happens is that he encounters someone who is experiencing the brokenness that sin causes maybe it's sickness or it could be death like in Lazarus's case or maybe it's some type of other brokenness and he brings healing, and then he talks about the kingdom of God. Because he's telling them, the kingdom of God is like this. It's, it's where everything is healed. There's, there's peace, there's forgiveness, there's love. This is what the kingdom's like. And so D- Jesus is demonstrating this everywhere he goes. And what's interesting, though, is that Jesus, in some instances, when he goes into a city and he brings healing and to the brokenness there, one thing that he sometimes says is, he says, don't tell anybody. And I think one of the reasons for that is because he doesn't want the word to get out yet. He wants the word to get out, but just the timing's not quite right. But here, Jesus is entering Jerusalem and he makes an interesting request. He says, I want you to go and I want you to bring me this colt, this young horse. And so he tells the disciples how they can go get this horse and through a, an interesting set of circumstances, they bring this colt to Jesus. And then he gets on and begins to ride. Now as he does that, there are at least a few passages from the Old Testament that have to be bouncing around in their minds. The first one, perhaps, comes from 1 Kings chapter 1. You may remember when David was king of Israel, and as he was growing old in age, he was going to pass the kingdom to his son Solomon. And so in 1 Kings chapter 1 verses 32 through 34 this is what it says. King David said, "Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada." So they came before the king and the king said to them, "Take with you the servants of your lord and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. And so that had to be going around in their mind that, okay, Jesus wants to ride on this colt into Jerusalem. This is it. This, this is when He will take on the throne of David. He is the son of David. He's the greater David. And He's going to come and He is going to take the throne. Another verse that's probably going around in their minds is from uh, Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey. These ha- they have to be thinking about this. As Jesus is Jesus' requesting this cult. And then he mounts the cult and begins his journey to Jerusalem. And they're thinking, this is it. This, the king is coming into Jerusalem. He is going to take over the throne. Now up to this point, Jesus' identity has been fairly vague, although there have been bits and pieces of people grasping it and understanding it. But now Jesus is making a very clear statement that he is the messiah, that he is the king, he's the son of david, he is the one who god is going to put on the throne to deliver god's people. Very clear, very dramatic statement Jesus is making as he gets on this horse to make his way into Jerusalem. Now, as he makes his way into Jerusalem, he receives a few different types of reactions to this bold statement of who he is. The first one comes from his disciples. In verses 37 through 38, Luke writes these words And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. When, when the disciples saw Jesus do this dramatic act, getting on this, this cult and, make, and making His way to Jerusalem, they just burst out in praise because they know what's happening. Jesus is the King. He's the Messiah. He's coming in. He's going to set up His kingdom. And so they're just overcome with joy over all they've seen Jesus do. And yet, as we know, they don't fully understand what He's actually going to do. They have an idea, but it's not quite clear and we know this from the parable that Luke records just prior to Jesus entering into Jerusalem I mentioned earlier this parable of the ten minus well this parable is about a nobleman who goes into a far country to receive a kingdom and while he is gone he takes his possessions and he gives his possessions to his servants to steward while he's gone and then, after a period of time, he'll come back and see what the stewards have done with his resources. And so what Jesus is communicating is that, yes, he is coming in to receive a kingdom, but it's not in the same way that they're thinking. And this is what Luke says in verse 11, just before Jesus goes into the parable of the ten minas. He says this, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable. And then he gives the reason why Jesus needed to to tell this parable to his disciples. It says, because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to to appear immediately. See, that's, that's where they did not quite get it right. Jesus was coming. He was going to take the throne. There's no doubt about it. But it was not going to in the same way that they were thinking. And as Christians, even today, with even more of a, I guess, a fuller knowledge of what Christ was doing there in that day, we still seem to sometimes miss what Jesus is doing. You know, as, as the body of Christ in the city, as the church in this city, we, we think about, and even we pray about, you know, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, in Augusta as it is in heaven. That's our prayer as the church. And yet, sometimes we don't fully realize how Jesus is going to bring His kingdom to Augusta. You know, sometimes we cling maybe a little too tightly to politics or social programs or education, thinking that that's going to bring the kingdom here. And that's not going to do it. Now, that may set up conduits for the kingdom of God to move through and penetrate hearts, but the primary way that the kingdom of God enters your heart and mind and enters this city is through the good news that Christ is the King. It's through what Jesus did during this holy week, going into Jerusalem, dying on the cross, being buried, being raised from the dead. This news about the King and how he's setting up his kingdom, how man is redeemed, how man is put right with God, this news. As it comes to the life of a Christian, as we share life with one another, as we share our resources in the city, as we share our faith in the city, that is primarily how the kingdom of God will come to Augustine. That's how it's going to come to your neighbors, that's how it's going to come to your friends, that's how it came to you, if you're a Christian. It's through the gospel message, this message about Christ being the King. So Jesus' disciples, they erupt in praise as Jesus makes His way into Jerusalem. Although they did not fully understand what He was going to do, Jesus accepts their praise. They know He's saying He's the King. They're praising Him as such and He accepts it. He doesn't rebuke them. And that that draws our attention to this next reaction He gets from the Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees said this in verse, verse 39. He says, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, you need to tell them to stop doing this. You know, they're saying you're the king. Surely you don't want them saying that. And then, does Jesus rebuke them? No. And in the same way, we are the church. We are representing Christ in this place, in this city, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. And there will be some folks that they're going to say, you know, I know you think Jesus is the king, but you need to tone it down. You need to keep that in your private life. Don't bring it in here. Or, well, you can believe Jesus is the king, but surely there's some room for some other kings. So here's the thing. If we're we're Christians, if Christ is our king... We don't choose when we serve our King. We always serve our King. Whether it's in here, it's at work, at the grocery store, in the hospital, with our family, in our Bible study, in the workplace. Jesus is our King, period. And it's interesting what Jesus, how Jesus responds to the Pharisees. When they say, you know, Jesus, you need to tell your disciples to to calm down here. um, Because what they're saying doesn't sound too good. It's actually pretty offensive. So you need to rebuke them. And here's what Jesus says in verse 40. He says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Which tells you a little about what Jesus is doing here. Not only is Jesus coming into Jerusalem to bring about the redemption of mankind to God, that we can actually have a relationship with God, that we can actually live with God forever again and experience peace with God. Not only is He doing that, but He is actually bringing about the renewal of all things. He is going to bring in the renewal of creation itself. itself. And so Jesus is saying, you know, even if these men were quiet and these women were quiet, the creation is longing for this. The creation is longing for me to come and lay my life down. So not only can man be reconciled to God, but the whole creation, everything that God has made, that has been tainted by sin, would be brought back and be renewed. And so he said, even if they stay silent, the rocks themselves will cry out. You know, this throne that Jesus is about to ascend to is, is greater than just a throne over a geographical area. Yeah, you know, he's doing something much greater than just pushing back the Romans and trying to elevate Israel to a superpower state. That's not what he's doing. He's the king of creation. All creation. And so he says, even if the people don't proclaim it, creation itself will, because this is what it's longing for as well. And then as Jesus turns His attention from the reaction of the disciples and the Pharisees, His eyes become fixed on the city of Jerusalem. And as He approaches Jerusalem, as He sees Jerusalem, as Jerusalem comes into His sight, so do the tears in His eyes. There's only a few times in Scripture where we see Jesus weeping. And this is one of them. And this is what it says in verses 41 through 44. It says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when our enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation." What's prompting these tears? What's, what's causing Jesus to weep? Well, I think it's as He sees Jerusalem, He knows what He's about to do. He knows He is bringing in God's plan of redemption. And he knows once he enters Jerusalem, not everyone will be so favorable towards him like the disciples as they were shouting out praises. He knows he will suffer, he will die, and yet he enters Jerusalem anyway. But he's weeping because the city, the people of the city, they're seeking out peace where no peace can be found. And as the prince of peace makes his way into the city, they're going to reject him. And what we need to realize is as we represent Christ wherever we go, it's going to be, we're going to face mixed reviews, mixed reaction. But just like Jesus says here, he says, had, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. He is the one who makes the peace. So without him, there is no peace. And so as he enters the city, he knows there will be suffering, there will be death, there will be rejection, and yet he enters the city anyway. Because he's all, he's all about his father's business. He's going to accomplish the purpose for which he came. So lastly, how, how should we as the church, as the body of Christ, how should we react to this work of Christ, this redemptive work of Christ? What should be our response as we represent Christ to the city that we live in? Well, just as Jesus was intentional about carrying out the the Father's redemptive work in the city of Jerusalem, so we must be intentional about carrying out the Father's redemptive work in the city of Augusta. Although we don't do it in the same way, Jesus has paid it all. He has done it on the cross Yet we represent Him to this city. If you're a Christian, we represent Christ to all those around us. And so we must do so with intentionality. We must be a a church that is city-focused. You know, we've talked about how as a church, to be the church, we must be Christ-centered. He must be the center of all that we do, all that we believe, all that we are. He's the only one that can reconcile us to God. He's the only way for us to experience life as it's meant to be experienced and yet we're also to be community oriented we are to rally around Christ together as a church as fellow Christians and love one another build up each other support one another but that's not enough to be the church we also must we also must spill out into the world and carry out God's redemptive purposes everywhere we go i'm not saying or necessarily necessarily uh, advocating you know, just carving out two hours a week where you're going to do ministry. Because actually, if you're a Christian, your life is ministry. Yeah, it's, it's all that we do. Our, our life, our words, our actions, everything that we are is communicating a message. And as a Christian, the message is, Jesus is king. He is the king. And although it may not be evident to all at the moment, one day it will become evident. And so as the Christian, we go up, we go forward and we say, Christ is the king. Would you recognize him as king? Would you allow him to be king in your life? Because that is the only way that you can truly have life and have it to the full. You know, in a similar way, you know, Jesus comes in and the disciples burst out in celebration because Christ is the king. He's their king. And yet Jesus weeps over the city as He sees its lostness. And I think as a Christian, our hearts must be celebratory. We must celebrate what Christ has done. If we know Christ, if you have peace with God, there needs to be some type of joy there, celebration, peace. But at the same time, you know, as you're driving to church this morning and you see someone jogging or... Working in their yard, or maybe catching a few hours of sleep in their cars in the driveway, or you know, you see your coworkers, or your family members, or friends. You know, what, what questions come into your mind? What what's coming to your mind as you see folks that you know do not know Christ? Is the question, "How can I make the message clearer that Christ is King through my words?" and through my actions. Is that the the question that that we have? How can I make the message clearer through my words, through my actions, that Christ is in fact the King? So on the one hand, we should experience peace with God that comes through knowing Christ. And yet on the other hand, we should have this deep sense of concern for those around us who don't know Christ. And that's why I think Jesus wept. He saw the city. He saw people that were not embracing him as king. And he had a deep concern for them. And I think as a church today, we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus recognizable? Is he recognizable? Do people see that the Hill Baptist Church, or that you or that I, that that we represent Jesus Christ is King. Is He recognizable? You know, the church, this group of Christians, this fellow believers in Christ, we should be like a cup that's, that's filled up with the love of God and we should be filled up to such a degree that we're spilling over. It's just spilling over the top, rushing down the hill, through the neighborhoods, through the city, that Christ is the King. And so this morning, as we close, I want to ask you a few questions. The first one is, you know, what is your reaction to Jesus? We all react somewhat. Everybody does. What is your reaction? Is your reaction like those disciples saying, Christ is my King? Or is your reaction like the Pharisees? You know, that's fine if they think that, but they don't need to be so vocal about it. There's a time and a place for that. So you kind of compartmentalize Jesus over here. Like I mentioned, Jesus is King of creation. He deserves our worship all the time. And are you experiencing peace with God? I think that's what troubled Jesus the most is he realized this city was seeking peace in so many different ways But they failed to seek it through the only one who can bring peace. And that is Christ himself. Where are you seeking your peace this morning? I pray that it's in Christ. And if it's not, as we stand to sing this final hymn, uh, I want to invite you. You can meet me at the front or you can come see me anytime during the week or call me up. I'd love to explain to you how you can have peace with God through Christ. Or if you're looking for a church that is seeking to be Christ-centered, that is seeking to be community-oriented and, and to be city-focused, if you're looking for a church like that, I encourage you to join with us here at the Hill Baptist Church. Why don't you join with me as we pray together? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time of the year that we can reflect on you coming into Jerusalem, making a statement that you are the king, and yet you are bringing in your kingdom through humility, through love, through sacrifice, through grace, through mercy, giving us all the opportunity to turn to you before you come back to set up your kingdom forever. God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that is not experiencing peace with You, that they would turn to You, Christ, that that You would become their King. And for those of us who know You, I pray that our lives, our words, our deeds, everything that we are would be communicating a message that we know You, that we love You, that we serve You, and we want everybody to know You as well. Or we want to be city-focused. And then we also want to pray uh, for Bob as he ventures out on this this trip with the Sons of Jubal in the upcoming weeks. Lord, I pray you would bless them. I pray that you would protect them. I pray that you would grant them your favor in so many different ways, even as they go through customs at the airport, all the way through the logistics of getting that many people into these countries and set up to sing and I pray that their voices would be evident and what they would sing would be very evident to the people there that they serve a king. Not of the United States, not of North Korea or China or any other country, but they serve a king over all creation. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.